Welcome to the final week of this series. Uh, every week, I encourage you as parents to download the Parent Q app. Uh, you just heard of some of the ways that some parents here at Relevant, how it's benefited them. One of the really cool things about the Parent Q app is it shows you how many weeks you have left until your child moves on to what's next. Christy and I actually, my wife and I actually took this to another level to remind us every single day. And we did, we did this marble jar. And so the app tells you, you know, Right now, if we I went on the app, it says that Grace, my oldest, has 162 weeks. Reese has 266. So we have, 100 and, we have 162 and 266 marbles in here. And what we do, this sits in our living room, and every week we take a marble out. And what it does is it's a physical reminder that there is an expiration date on, on us parenting our children. And that they're, they're going to be adults before too long. So, that we, so we need to be intentional about parenting with the end in mind right now. Now, this is your first week here, just to catch up a little bit, what we've been discovering over the last few weeks is that no one has the potential to influence a child more than a parent. I mean, as parents, we're not raising children, we're actually raising future adults. And parents, you want your child to end up at good, healthy destinations spiritually, physically, morally, financially, mentally, relationally, emotionally. The question is, will they? Uh, more importantly, will they arrive at the destinations that their heavenly Father wants them to arrive at? <laughs> the reality is, is for good or for bad, what you do as parents greatly influences which destinations they arrive at because no one has the potential to influence a child more than a parent. Now, I really do believe that in order to help children arrive at the destinations that we and our heavenly Father desires for them, many of us simply need to just change our approach a little bit. See, for, for many of us, our approach is often random and reactive. Therefore, we parent by experiment, uh, experiment. And that's just a really bad approach since no one has the potential to influence a child more than you. I, I honestly believe a better approach is to parent with the end in mind. And parenting with the end in mind is intentionally parenting to lead them toward the destinations that we, and more importantly, their Heavenly Father desires for them as adults. So throughout this series, really my goal has been to help us just shift our approach to parenting with the end in mind in a, with, in a few critical areas. Now, as we wrap up this series today, I'm going to talk about two critical areas that are honestly way too big to cover in one sermon. But I had to hit on them before this series ends because these two, these two will make or break your children arriving at the destinations that you, and once again, more importantly, your Heavenly Father desires for them. But before I talk about these two critical areas, I want you to think about the question that we and others most often ask our children about their future self. And you already know what question that we most often ask children and kids and teenagers about their future self. We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we know when we ask this question, what we're talking about is we're, we're asking about what job do you want to have when you grow up? What profession do you want to have grow up? Like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Parents, let me just ask you, does it even matter? Literally, does it matter at all? Let me ask you a different way. If your child ended up having the profession as an adult they wanted as a kid, would you feel that that was the ultimate destination that you wanted them to arrive at? 
let me ask you a different way. If they ended up having that job, but were foolish, hateful, greedy, lazy, disrespectful, prideful, self-absorbed, addicted, lust-filled adults who were distant from God, had no relationship with him, and who weren't following Jesus, would you go, yep, that's what I was going for? Absolutely not. So you don't really care what they do in the future. See, the question, what do you want to do? What do you want to be in the future? Talking about job and profession is not a bad question, but I think a better one, I think a a more important one, that parenting, more important question, that parenting with the end in mind begs to ask is, who do you want to be? Hey, son, when you grow up, who do you want to be? I'm not talking about a job. Daughter, when you grow up, who do you want to be? See, this is such a more important question than what do you want to be? This is such a more important question because they will never experience the life, hope, peace, joy, fulfillment, purpose, significance that only God can give them through any job or profession. And parents, you already know it because you haven't experienced that through a job or a profession. That only comes by being transformed into who God created them to be. So parents, who do you want your child to be? Man, I hope you would say that you want your child to be, you know, a wise adult, a loving adult, a generous or hardworking adult, a respectful, humble, God-honoring, hope-filled, honest adult. An adult who has a saving, committed, authentic, intimate, trusting, faith-filled, growing relationship with Jesus. I mean, who do you want your child to be? More importantly, who does their heavenly Father want them to be? And the interesting thing is, the writers of the New Testament tell us, He wants them to be people who love like him, who have joy like him, who have peace like him, who have patience like him, who are kind like him, are filled with goodness like him, are faithful like him, are are gentle like him, are self-controlled like him. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a large part of the New Testament, calls those things I just described the fruits of the Spirit, and that's who God wants them to be transformed into being. See, the most important question we can ask our kids is, who do, you, who do you want to be? The most important question we can ask ourselves or God about our children is, Heavenly Father, who do you want them to be? And then parent with the end in mind by intentionally doing everything we can to lead them toward that. But here's what you need to know, and this is so, so, so vitally important. Who a person becomes is determined by the condition of their mind and heart. That is true for your child, that's true for me, and that's true for you. The writers of Scripture emphasize this over and over and over again. And I just want to give you a couple of uh, examples of this. And young people, listen, every young young person, you more than anybody should key into what I'm about ready to say. To key into everything we're talking about today. Because who you are and who you will be will be impacted so much by the condition of your heart and the condition of your mind. So if you want to become who God created you to be and experience that in your life, man, you're going to need to key in and listen and apply what we talk about today. The, the, the first passage I want to go to is actually in the, it's, it's in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book in our Old Testament. Um, the book of Proverbs is actually written by King Solomon, who's an Israelite king about a thousand years or so before the life of Jesus. And Solomon at that time was known as around the world for his immense wisdom. He's famously known for, to be the wisest man who lived and who had ever lived. And so the person who was known as the wisest man who had ever lived wrote this. 
above all else, which means above all other desires and wants and needs and priorities, guard, protect, defend your heart. Now the writers refer to our hearts as the center, as the core of who we are, from which we feel, from which we choose. And Solomon's saying protect the health, protect the condition of your heart at all costs because for everything you do and everything you are, flows from it. Another tra- English translation says, from it flows the spring of life, life which, me- which means from it flows our ability to feel and choose love and joy and peace and hope and intimacy, intimacy with God, intimacy with others, and intimacy with ourselves. And Solomon is emphasizing who you become is determined by the condition of your heart. Listen, without a healthy and without a whole heart, you can't and you won't experience life to the full, peace to the full, joy to the full. When we damage our hearts... We damage who we are at the core of who we are. And we damage, therefore, who our Father wants us to become. So Solomon is saying, protect the condition of your heart at all costs. The second passage I want to look at is is from the New Testament, and it's in the book of Philippians. And Philippians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church and the community of Christ followers in this city called Philippi about 30 or so years after the events of Jesus' life. And toward the end of this letter, Paul writes this. He says, finally, he's like, hey, I saved this until the end because this is so important and I don't want you to forget. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. And, and Paul is basically saying, whatever is from God, of God, reflects God or points you to God. Look what he says. Think about such things. Think about those things. Well, Why? Why should that be what we think about? And when you think about it, you already know the answer. First reason is because what you think about is what you fill your mind with, and what your mind is filled with is what consumes you. Fill your mind with what is true, you're consumed with truth. Fill your mind with lies, you're consumed with what is false. Fill your mind with what is praiseworthy to God, you're consumed with praising God. Fill your mind with what glorifies yourself, you're consumed with selfishness. Fill your mind with what is lovely, you're consumed with peace. Fill your mind with what can cause anxiousness, you're consumed with anxiety. I mean, the list can go on, but you get the idea. The second reason Paul says you got to just think as much as you can about those things is because what your mind is repeatedly filled with is what you'll inevitably move towards. What your mind is repeatedly filled with is what you'll inevitably move towards. That's why Paul says what he does next. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, really about how to follow Jesus, put it into practice. Paul's saying, listen, you can't and you won't take next steps to follow Jesus if your mind is not filled with what is from God, of God, reflects God, and points you to God. Because what your mind is repeatedly filled with is what you'll inevitably move towards. And you want to take next steps to move toward Jesus. You want to take next steps to follow Jesus, Paul says, because here's why. And the God of peace, the God of joy, the God of hope, the God of life will be with you when you move toward him. And God with us is how God transforms us into who he created us to be. Paul's reiterating, listen, for good or for bad, who you are and who are you, be, who you are becoming is determined by the condition of your mind. So be very selective about what you think about. Be very selective about what you feed your mind. Now these are just two of the many examples and the many times the writers of Scripture emphasized who a person becomes is determined by the condition of their mind and heart. But you didn't need the Bible to know that's true. Experience tells you that that's true. 
And since it's true, we must protect and guard the condition of our minds and our hearts at all costs. But how? Well, to answer that, we first need to identify what has the most potential to destroy our minds. And what has the most potential to destroy our hearts. And listen, what I say next, this is so vitally important for every person. For young people, for old people, for for parents, for kids, for grandparents, for people who would say you're followers of Christ, for people who would say you're not. This is so vitally important what I'm about ready to say. Listen, some of you may be tempted to dismiss what I'm about ready to say next because you think that you are the exception to the rule. And I just hope you don't dismiss this because I believe what you choose to do with this will impact who you are and who you become from this point forward, either positively or negatively. What I say next, listen, you can work with it and you can benefit from it or you can ignore it and break yourself against it. This is so important. Key in. Nothing can negatively affect the mind like technology and the heart like sex. Some of you already are dismissing me and you're saying you're the exception to the rule. And Ronnie, how can you say that so definitively? Well, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about these two critical areas real quick, starting with sex. The Apostle Paul wrote the following to the church, to the community of Christ followers in the city of Corinth, and it's recorded in 1 Corinthians 6. He wrote, flee, which means run, get as far away as possible. Flee from, not sex. Sex isn't bad. God created sex. Sex is great. Flee from sexual immorality, which leads to the question, what is sexual immorality? Well, in short, sexual immorality is defined as any act of sex outside creator God's created intent for it, which leads to the next obvious question, well, what's creator God's created intent for sex? Well, according to the writers of Scripture, according to Jesus, according to Paul, God's created intent for sex is to be within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Therefore, sexual immorality is any act of sex before, outside of, or in addition to the marriage of one man and one woman, and sexual integrity is the act of sex within creator God's created intent for it. Now, I know some of you disagree with that. You disagree with that completely. You come up with your own definition, and you're like, why in the world would you think this is what God's created intent? I actually did a whole series on this in September called "Nothing." There's Nothing Like Sex. I'd encourage you, if you missed that series, go back, listen to it. I talk about all why, why I believe that's creator God's created intent. You are more than welcome to disagree with me at the end of it, but I think the series will at least be impactful for you. So Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. And then he goes on to explain why it's imperative that we flee from it. He says, all other sins. Now, a sin, we know, is a violation against holy creator God or a violation against his created will for us or a violation against his created intent for us. And I say all the time, sin does not make us bad. Sin makes us, sin makes us dead. And however you define sin, you would agree with that. Like sin, it, however you define it, it kills relationships, it kills people's futures, it kills freedom, it fill, kills peace within ourselves, peace with others, peace with God. It kills true joy, it kills character. That's true with all sin. Paul says all other sins, meaning every other category of sin, regardless of how big or small a person commits, are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, it's a category all its own, sins against their own body. Paul's saying sexual immorality is like no other sin, not because it's worse than any other sin, not because God hates it more, will judge you more harshly, or won't forgive you for it. Sexual immorality is like no other sin because it impacts you like no other sin. And what Paul is saying, what you expect a God who loves us to say is when we sin sexually, we hurt ourselves. Not just the physical you, because you know there's more than, than to you than just a physical body. When we sin sexually, we hurt ourselves at the deepest level imaginable, at the core, at the center of who we are, our hearts. 
So the writers of Scripture are very clear. Sex is not just a physical thing. It's a heart thing. They make it clear. Sex outside of God's created intent for it is extraordinarily destructive because it affects our hearts. Who we are in a way that no other sin does. Listen, and we intuitively know that sex isn't just physical. Yet we live in a culture that makes it, makes, you know, wants to make it simple. Wants to make it surface, wants to make it just physical. And it's like, oh, it's just one time. It's just spring break. It's just experimenting. It's just fun. We're getting married anyway. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just a freaking lie. Sex is physical, but it's not just physical. It touches us at the deepest level of our being. And if we treat it like it's just physical, we hurt who we are at the deepest level imaginable. So Paul's going, listen, flee from that. Flee from sexual immorality. Not because God is against sex, but because the God who created sex is for you. Listen, I can go on and on and on about how sex affects our heart, but I just don't have time. And so if you missed that series called Nothing Like Sex that I did back in September, I would encourage you to go back to it, talk all about this in that series, and I think it will be impactful for you, even if you disagree with some of my conclusions. Who a person becomes is determined by the condition of their heart and mind. Nothing can affect, negatively affect the heart like sex, and I believe nothing can negatively affect the mind like technology. We've all read the studies and seen the studies. Studies show one in every three high school students have experienced intense feelings of hopelessness, anxiety, and depression over the past year. That's up 40% from 10 years ago. Studies show one in every six adolescents contemplated suicide in the past year. That's up 44% from 10 years ago. Studies show one in every five teens between the age of 12 and 18 suffer, at least one di- suffer from at least one, diagnose- one diagnosable mental health disorder. I mean, those statistics are absolutely staggering. They show the condition of many children's minds are less healthy now than many of our minds were when we were their age. Why? What is different now than when we were our kids' age? I mean, all kinds of things, but a huge thing is technology. Gaming, social media, entertainment, screens that are dopamine-producing triggers are at their fingertips all the time in a way that it wasn't when we were their age, when we grew up. Is technology the only thing that's affecting the condition of our kids' minds? Nope. But research shows it is negatively affecting their mental well-being significantly because of what it's con- because of what they're constantly filling their mind with. Research shows anxiety, depression, and social media are co-related. Research shows social media, gaming, screens, and screens are drugs to the brain. Not my words. You go read the research yourself. So, parents. Here's the big idea I hope that we all take away from today. Who a child becomes is determined by the condition of their mind and heart. Nothing can negatively affect the mind like technology and the heart like sex. Sex and technology are two critical areas that make or break our children arriving at the destinations that we, and more importantly, their heavenly father desires for them. So parents, let me ask you again. Who do you want your children to be? Who do you want your children to become? you got to remember, who your child becomes is determined by the condition of their mind and heart. And nothing can affect their mind like technology. 
and their heart like sex. Before I go on, I just want to share one more proverb from Solomon. This is one of my favorites. It's in Proverbs 27, and here's what Solomon wrote. He said, the prudent or the wise person, the prudent, see danger and take refuge. But the simple or foolish person, keep going and pay the penalty. So in this proverb, there's two types of people have two, have two different choices and two contrasting outcomes. The first is the prudent or the wise person. And they're driving on the road. They're driving fast. And in front of them on the road, they see a cliff at the end of the road. And they think, oh, that could be a problem. If I keep driving, I'm going to fall off that cliff and die. So they take refuge. They pull over. They reassess. They make a different path. And they go in a different path. Second person is the foolish person. They're also driving on the same road. They see the, they say this, see the same cliff at the end of the road in front of them. And they think, let's see what happens. And so they keep going, and you know what happens. They fall off the cliff, and they pay the penalty. Parents, more than likely, when it comes to navigating sex and technology, my children and your children are going to be fools. They'll they'll hear of all the danger we're talking about, and they're going to think they're the exception to the rule. And they're going to keep going down the road because they're curious What does that cliff look like? And unfortunately, they can't understand the damage until the damage is done. That means we as parents need to be the prudent ones, the wise ones, and parent with the end in mind by doing everything we can to protect and guard the condition of our kids' hearts and minds and help them take refuge. Listen, if we don't, if we lead them foolishly in regarding, regarding, you know, navigating sex and technology, they are the ones who will pay the penalty. You're not the one who's going to pay it. They're the ones who are going to pay it. No excuse is a good enough excuse for us not doing everything we can to help guard their hearts and their minds, especially now that we know who a child becomes is determined by the condition of their mind and heart, and nothing can negatively affect the mind like technology and the heart like sex. The question is how. How do we parent with the end in mind with these two critical areas? How do we help guard children's hearts and minds? Well, the answer is actually very simple. The answer is lead toward mental well-being and into sexual integrity. Like, that's the answer. We parent with the end in mind by leading our children to navigate technology in a way that protects their mental well-being and into uh, uh, sex, uh, sexual integrity so that their heart can stay whole and healthy. The problem is, the problem is that's a lot easier said than done, <laughs> as every parent knows. And there's no one way to do it, there's no perfect way to do it, and there's no right way to do it. So what I want to do is just close with a few suggestions. This is not an exhaustive list of suggestions or a perfect list of suggestions. These are things that I've just seen helpful in my own home with my own kids, and I've seen many parents use that have been helpful with their kids in their homes as well. But what I will say about these suggestions is they're they're very broad. This is a 30,000-foot kind of a broad stroke of suggestions, but I think they're also very foundational, meaning every other thing that you do will probably spur off of one of these suggestions. But before I give you these suggestions, parents, you've got to remember something that's so important. This is so vitally important. Influence starts and ends with relationship. Influence starts and ends with relationship. Parents, you don't influence through rules. I hate to break it to you. 
especially the older they get, you and I do not influence through rules. Rules can affect behavior modification for a period of time, but doesn't necessarily influence. We influence through relationship. And those of you who have older kids and who are out of the house, you know this especially better than anyone. You won't be able to influence and lead your children toward health, you know, anywhere healthy outside of a healthy relationship with them. So if you don't have a healthy relationship with your child that's built on mutual trust and respect and love, what I am going to suggest, you got to know it's going to be very hard to do effectively. So, therefore, the absolute best way to start parenting with the end in mind is to intentionally invest in you and your child's relationship. Now, as you know, relationship evolves, revolves around conversation, and this leads to my first suggestion. And it's a suggestion I gave earlier in this series. Create conversations with them. Conversations that help them develop a vision around who they want to be, who God wants them to be, who God created them to be, what he has for them, what he desires for them. Conversations around sex, conversations around technology, conversations that help them assess, assess if and how sex and technology is or can affect them. And you, you know this, conversations, they require consistency. No conversation is a one-time thing. Like this is not a one-time sex talk. Like, by the way, our sex talk came before fifth grade with our two girls. <laughs> they, found about, they found out about sex and Santa on the same day. Traumatic day. <laughs> Traumatic day. <laughs> Maybe should have separated those just a tad. We're like, hey, by the way, you know. But, man, the number of conversations that we've had with them since is just immense. We talk about it all the time. To be fair, Christy talks with them a lot more than I do about it because I'm their dad, and they're like, Dad, mm-mm, no. Mm, do not, do even, don't do it. And so, you know, Chrissy has all kinds of, because they're girls, man, and so they just connect better in, in this level. The other thing about conversations is that they're not a one-way conversation with you preaching. They, I, we all know this. They require questions, asking questions, questions like, hey, who do you want to be? Hey, what, what have you been looking at lately? What have you seen lately? Hey, can you teach me about, can you teach me about that app? Hey, does this make you feel good or bad about yourself? What do you want to get out of this? By the way, here's the absolute best question that I think you can ask, and it's this. Is this making your life better or worse? Hey, is this physical relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, is it making your life better or worse? Hey, do you think having sex, do you think having sex is going to make your life better or worse? Hey, is being on that app that you're on all the time, is that really making your life better or is it making your life worse? Is all the time that you're spending on social media, is it, is it really making your life better or is it really making your life worse? This question, what it can do is it can help open their, their eyes. It can help them see the danger, see the cliff, and discover the right path. Listen, parents, someone, someone is going to teach your kids about sex and technology. Someone is going to do it. Someone is going to teach your children about sex and technology. Who will it be? If you want it to be you, if you want to lead them toward mental well-being and sexual integrity, then you got to create conversations with them about sex and technology. Here's my second suggestion. Is put healthy guardrails in place for them and monitor the journey. Now here... Guardrails are not the same thing as archaic rules. This is not about archaic, this is about guardrails. And you know what guardrails are on a road, right? Same thing. Just like guardrails on the road, they help to protect 
from potential harm. Putting guardrails in place with sex and technology help protect children's minds and hearts. It helps give them freedom to learn how to navigate the road in a healthy way. It, it, it helps them earn your trust that they can actually navigate the road and not flip the car over the guardrail. I suggest every parent puts healthy guardrails in place to help their children navigate technology in a way that protects their mental well-being. Guardrails about, you know, at what age you allow certain technology and certain devices into your home and into your kids' lives. What age do you invite that technology into their life? And then once it is, how, you know, guardrails around how long they can be on those devices. What's allowed and not allowed on those devices. When they need to be off those devices. Uh, by the way, one of the guardrails we had as far as when our kids got a smartphone, they were, our kids were not allowed to get a smartphone until they're going into their freshman year of high school. So listen, when I was a kid, they didn't have cell phones. I, didn't have, I love that my kids can have a cell phone. I can get a hold of them whenever I want. But I didn't, they didn't need a smartphone. We got them a flip phone. When they're going into high school, they, that's when we allowed them that you can, buy a smart, you can buy a smartphone, an iPhone if you want. By the way, I talked about it last week, you had to buy it with your own money. We got you this flip phone. That's what we want you to have. So, and, and by the way, my kids did the same thing your kids did for years. Ugh, who can I have it? I mean, every birthday, every Christmas, every day. Why can I have it? Why can I have it? All my friends have it, and I just told them, well, we must love you more than your, parent, your friends' parents love them. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. <laughs> across the bow? Okay. Uh, so anyway, once they get this stupid iPhone, there's a couple guardrails we have in place for them. Number one, they're never allowed to be in it in their rooms behind closed doors. Their doors have to stay open. They cannot be in it behind closed doors. Another guardrail is in place is they're off it at 9 p.m. every single night. At 9 p.m. every single night, they plug their phones in in our room. For a couple reasons is we want them to disengage their mind from this thing, to have some quiet, to read a book. You know what I mean? That's paper. You ever heard of that stuff, guy? You know, read a book. Uh, and I want to be able to check their phones. They're in my room so I can walk the shortest distance to check it. I don't have to walk across the house. I'm lazy. What can I say? Listen, I also suggest every parent puts healthy guardrails in place that helps lead their children into sexually, sexual integrity so that their heart can stay whole and healthy. My oldest daughter, Grace, has her first real boyfriend. Do I like it? Not really. <laughs> did I tell him if he brought her home late, I would break his kneecaps? Potentially, I did. Here's the deal. I, I don't hate that she has a boyfriend. I actually like it. I had a girlfriend when I was her age, and Christy had a boyfriend. My wife, Christy had a boyfriend. When Christy was chasing after me when she, Christy was that age, and I had to put her off a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But uh, <laughs> it's not, not really. Don't tell her I said that. She'd get very angry at me. Uh, um, but I like she has a boyfriend. Like, this isn't, like, and I don't, she's not doing anything wrong by having a boyfriend, but I want to help lead her into sexual integrity. And so a couple guardrails we have in place is that they're not allowed in any home by themselves. They're not allowed in our home by themselves. They're not allowed in his home by themselves. Any other home. They're not allowed in any home by themselves. And so if they're at our house and Chrissy and I leave, they've got to leave too. We don't care where they go. You can go to the coffee shop. You can go to the park. Go, go wherever. Like, you're just not allowed in the house by yourself. The second thing is they're not allowed in a room behind closed doors. They've got to be in a living space where so they, can't, they can't go up to her room and close the door. We said this is a guardrail both in our house and in his house, and if you think that you're going to break it in his house, we'll find out. Like, listen, 
Are they perfect? No. But I suggest every parent puts healthy guardrails in place with sex and technology and then monitor the journey. Parents, when it comes to technology, kids have unlimited access. Let me say this again. They have unlimited access. And if you think that your kids don't, you're a fool. They have unlimited access to mature content that can damage their mind in a way we didn't when we were their age. So we must monitor what they are filling their minds with. Parents, and I know this sounds harsh, but I love your kids enough to say this. If you aren't willing and if you aren't ready to monitor your kids and what they're doing on, on technology, then your kids should not have technology at their fingertips. Now listen, you do whatever you want with that. That makes you mad. I really don't, honestly don't care. But if you're not ready, then they aren't ready. As a matter of fact, there's a great resource that really helps you with this. It's, it's a company called Bark. Their, their website is bark.us. I would, parents, you got to go check this website out. It's a great re- website. You get notifications on your phone about what's being looked at on at every app on their device, as well as text messages. You can set up sensitivity levels when it comes to sensitivity levels as far as violence and bullying and sex. And it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing app. You should go look at it. The, by the way, parents, the only app this does not integrate with is Snapchat. You choose what you want to do with Snapchat. Listen, if you're monitor, if, if, if as 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 you're monitoring, I would suggest asking yourself this parents asking yourself this question all the time. Is this making their life better or worse? Is this app making my kids' life better or worse? Is the amount of time they're spending on this device making their life better or worse? Is, there, is this relationship making their life better or worse? Where they're spending their time with that person, is it making their life better or worse? If you ever feel like how they're navigating the road is making their life worse, meaning it's hurting their your mental well-being or, or leading them uh, you know, away from sexual integrity, or they go outside your guardrails, my third suggestion is step in and change their course. Step in change their course. If and when you have to step in and change their course, you have to have conversations with them about why, about how it's negative, you see it negatively affecting and hurting who they are and making better or worse. You've got to, don't just throw a rule. Like, remember, do this from relationship. They won't agree with it. They won't like it. But that's okay because you're parenting with the end in mind. I hate TikTok. I hate it. I hate it because every young person has it, and it is the most, it's, it's the most mind-numbing, ridiculous thing ever that young people will spend hours and hours, old people, many of us, will spend hours and hours and hours of watching the stupidest stuff for hours. And you guys, the content on there, what you got to ask, what am I filling my mind with for hours upon hours upon hours? Well, our, our daughter, our youngest daughter, Reese, we saw, like, Reese was addicted to TikTok. I mean, she'd go up to her room, and I mean, it was like she's up there smoking crack, and she ain't coming back down. I mean, for hours, she'd be up there watching TikTok, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, watching TikTok, you know, and I'm just like, I hate this app. Well, we, had, you know, I told, said this like a couple weeks ago, there was a time last year where Reese's attitude just had gotten bad. It's just bad attitude. She's hiding some stuff she hadn't had before. She was sometimes feeling anxious at times. And we didn't know all that was attributing to that. But I'm like, dude, I know this TikTok ain't helping. 
And I know the amount of time she's staring at that ain't helping. It's, we feel like it was negatively affecting her. It wasn't, it, there's no way this was helping her mental well-being. So we decided to step in and change course. And, we, and a lot of conversations that day and since then, we, hey, Reese, we're removing TikTok from any of your devices. You no longer have TikTok. And Reese, we're not doing this because you did anything wrong. You actually haven't done anything wrong. You're not being punished for anything. We just don't feel like this is helping your mental well-being. We don't feel like it's helping you become who you say you want to become. And so we just, and we've had to have many talks since then because it's not like she likes that. But it was like, honey, we're doing this because we know you don't, there's no way that you could see this. We, We love you. We love you enough to make whatever decision we have to make to help you. So, honey, you're not in trouble, but we just don't feel like this is helping you. She doesn't like it, but she knows we love her. Listen, as I said before, these are just broad stroke suggestions. It looks different with different phases and different personalities, but it's hard. Like all parents, we all need as as much help as we can get to get better at this stuff. So we're here to help. We're here to help. And as, again, I really strongly suggest every parent download the Parent Q app. You know, scan this, download it. We have put resources uh, on there, tools on there, and we're continuing to put them on there that will help both in the critical areas we covered in this series and many other things. I mean, this, this app is just will be a toolbox for you. There's actually a cool opportunity coming up this week we want to help, that we're putting on, we want to help you. It's called the Parenting in a Tech World Seminar. And our next gen team is putting this on on Thursday night right here at the Relevance Center. And it's just an hour long about whatever phase your kid's in, about how you can help parent with, you know, in a tech world, parent with the end in mind and navigate the different nuances of technology with your kids. I'd highly recommend signing up for this. You can sign up on the screen, scan the QR code. If you're in person, go to the next step area. They'll get you, get you signed up. Okay. I have one more suggestion. One more suggestion, parents, and this, this might be the most important one. And that suggestion is model what you want emulated. Model what you want emulated. Once again, no one has the potential to influence your child more than you. And because of that, your child will likely do what they see you modeling. If they see you addicted to your phone, they'll likely become addicted too. If they see you living in sexual immorality, they'll likely do so too. You are educating your child on technology and sex every day by what you do more than by what you say. So for the sake of your child's heart, for the sake of their mind, I strongly suggest asking yourself the question, is how I'm navigating sex and technology making my life better or my life worse? Listen, even if you don't agree with the definition of sexual integrity I gave earlier, you have to honestly evaluate if what you're doing is helping or hurting the condition of your heart Because your kids will emulate you. If the way you're navigating sex and technology is making your life worse, chances are it's going to make their life worse too because they will emulate you. Who a child becomes is determined by the condition of their heart, their mind and heart. Nothing can negatively affect the mind like technology and the heart like sex. So parents, let me ask you. Is the way your child is navigating technology and sex helping or hurting the condition of their mind and heart? If they're navigating in a way that's hurting, my question for you is, what next step do you need to take to lead your children toward mental well-being and sexual integrity? Whatever that next step is, take it. Take it right now. 
Take it not because it's going to guarantee anything. Take it because no one has the potential to influence your child more than you. Take it because the condition of their minds and hearts are at stake, which means who their heavenly father wants them to be and become is at stake. Take it because the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the fool keeps going and suffers for it. Let's not have them suffer. Let's pray for us. Dear Lord, uh, this is just so crazy how, too, how big these two areas are. And oh, I don't even know if what I said was helpful or not. Um, but I pray that your spirit just spoke and touched hearts and minds like you wanted to today. And I pray that we as parents take the steps that we felt convicted in these moments to take. Um, and through it, I pray that you do a transform work in our children's life. And I pray for all the young people who um, listening today, I pray that they know they have just a more insight of what their minds and hearts and how that's affecting who they become. And I pray they choose for themselves to see the danger and take refuge instead of going off that cliff. I pray you give them the wisdom now and they listen to that wisdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.